Welcome to this Holy Week podcast looking at the last days of Jesus leading to his death on the cross. This is Pastor Joe Cheerhart from Hillside Church of Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Today's setting is the Feast of the Jewish Passover. Jerusalem is flooded with Jews coming to celebrate the feast, both from the, the land of Israel and outside the land of Israel, those who have been dispersed over the, the centuries. <laughs> we saw Jesus enter the holy city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey by which he was declared by which he was declaring himself to be the long-awaited Messiah, King of Israel. Days earlier, he had miraculously raised Lazarus, a close friend of his, back to life from the dead, to which there were a number of witnesses. News of the miracle had spread, and as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, a large crowd cheered enthusiastically, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David! They were expressing their belief in him as the Messiah. Many watching wondered what in the world was going on. They were told that it was Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. Of course, the religious leaders didn't need to ask who he was. They knew exactly who he was, and they were making serious plans to kill Jesus. So Jesus rides into the city, and as if he didn't have enough trouble already with certain people, he enters the temple courts and drives the money changers out, turning over their their tables, scattering their coins, and telling them not to make his father's house of prayer a den of robbers. They had been taking advantage of the worshipers who had to exchange their money and buy animals for the sacrifices. Now, as the week goes on, Jesus is teaching at the temple. Many are listening and loving his teaching, but the religious leaders are constantly challenging him, trying to trap him in his words, of course, at which they fail miserably, but that only makes them angrier. On Thursday of that week, Jesus takes his disciples to a place no one else knows about, where they can celebrate the Passover meal. It was a meal that commemorated the time God delivered the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery. During that meal, Jesus revealed to his disciples that one of them would betray him to his enemies, who of course wanted to kill him. Then he took some of the bread, held it up, said to his disciples, This is my body given for you. He also took a cup full of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus was saying that he was offering himself as a sacrifice to bring them forgiveness of their sins. After their meal, Jesus takes his disciples to a secluded place where he prayed. I'm going to read several verses at this point, and I want you to listen and think of how Jesus felt at this time. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. It says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, And he said to them, 
Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now we see from this passage that Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. The heavy, heavy sorrow and grief he was feeling was enough to kill him. He prays to the Father that if there is any way possible that he could not have to go through this suffering, please, Lord, let that happen. Please take this cup away, if any way possible. But Jesus' bottom line, which will be his final choice in the matter, in spite of his heavy sorrow and tremendous fear, his bottom line is that his Father's will be done. No matter how horrible, no matter how painful, no matter how anxious or fear, fearful or sorrowful it is, the bottom line factor for Jesus is to do the will of the Father. The Father's will rules or overrules everything else. Now, another thing I see is that Jesus really wanted his friends, his disciples, to stand with him for encouragement. Keep watch with me, he said. He went back to them three times, and each time he found them sleeping. He was disappointed that they could not stay awake. It was his time of greatest need, the time they could really help him, and they let him down. They kept falling asleep when he needed them. He told them to watch and pray so they wouldn't fall into temptation. He warned them that their flesh is weak. It occurred to me that, of course, the disciples were not able to stay awake. And when the soldiers came, what did they do? They scattered, didn't they? They left Jesus all alone. I believe their inability to stay fervent in prayer rendered them weak and fearful. 
And then when the trial came, they ran. Now, I'm not saying I would have done any better if I had been there. I believe one reason the disciples didn't stay awake, besides just being so tired and sleepy, was that they did not grasp the full gravity or seriousness of the situation. And I believe there are times in our lives where we do not fully understand the seriousness of sin knocking at our door. Or what's all at stake if we submit to sin. And that we don't fervently pray about certain matters because we don't have eyes to see how spiritually dangerous a situation is. I believe it is a matter of increasing our spiritual perception. Increasing our knowledge of what sin truly is and how bad it what it what it reaps on us. But now the dreaded time is at hand. Jesus says, Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And now I'm going to read uh, verses 47 through 56 of Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> it says, While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? that say it must happen this way. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the, writing, the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So here comes Judas carrying out the most horrible the most horrible act of all time betraying the very son of God sent to redeem mankind for 30 pieces of silver. Now when Peter strikes the servant of the high priest with his sword Jesus tells him to put his sword away. And Jesus says don't you know I could ask my father and have twelve legions of angels here to fight for me? Now, a Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. <clears throat> so, if we take that comment literally by the number, that means Jesus had the ability or option to have his father send 72,000 angels to rescue him. One angel would have been strong enough to handle the mob. 
Jesus had at his disposal enough power to slaughter the whole city. But why did Jesus say he would not do that? He said, But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Jesus is saying that above all else, the scriptures need to be fulfilled. No matter the cost, no matter the pain or the loss or humiliation, the bottom line is that the scriptures have to be fulfilled. Then Jesus rebukes the crowd of soldiers and thugs for coming after him as if he had an army he was leading, as if he were leading a rebellion, going through the streets, smashing cars and storefront plate glass windows. He says, Every day I taught in public and no one arrested me. And then he gives the real reason it happened this way. He said, But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. So Jesus has just said that he had the resources at his disposal to destroy the mob that came out to arrest him, meaning he didn't really have to let them arrest if he chose not to. And that they really had no legitimate reason to arrest him since he hadn't done anything worth being arrested for. He was just doing the things that he did all the time when they just let him freely speak. But in both cases, the mob and the arrest, they were both happening to fulfill Scripture. And so the ultimate issue comes down to that the Scriptures must be fulfilled. A lot of people don't hold the Bible up as very important. And even sometimes we Christians don't treat it as seriously as we should. But Jesus saw the scriptures as the all-important matter. The scriptures had to be fulfilled. Even to the point that it meant his merciless torture and death by the hands of evil men. And really, when we're talking about the scriptures being fulfilled... The reason that's so important is because the scriptures are God-breathed. They are from God. And so it's really God's will has to be fulfilled. And that's just shown to us in the scriptures. <clears throat> now, after Jesus' arrest, he is taken before the authorities, before the high priest and before the <clears throat> Supreme Court of the Jews, which is called the Sanhedrin, and he even goes before Pilate, the governor, the Roman authority. And even though Pilate wants to release Jesus, he knows that the Jews are just turning him in because of uh, jealousy. The crowds demand his execution. The crowds were being stirred up by the re Jewish religious leaders. And so it just happens that or it all comes out to where Jesus is turned over to the Roman soldiers who then take Jesus, strip him, mock him, shove a crown of large thorns into his skull. They make fun of him as a supposed king. They place a robe on him to mock him. They spit on him 
They strike him on his head over and over with a staff and then lead him away to be crucified. Now I'm going to read uh, verses 38 through 44 on chapter 27 as it speaks of the reactions of those witnessing the crucifixion. Verses 38 through 44 of chapter 27. It says, Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. We see everyone turn against Jesus. An innocent man, the only innocent man from all humanity, yet being mercilessly mocked, insulted, and rejected by those whose sins he is up on the cross dying for. Just think of what Jesus endured. Think of all the well, the price he paid so that we could have salvation. And then Matthew gives an account of Jesus' actual death. <clears throat> and I'm reading from chapter 27, verses 45 through 56. It says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the, all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemasabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding, the, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there. Watching from a distance, they had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. 
Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Jesus, with a loud voice, cries out to God, asking him, Why have you forsaken me? The Bible says that God will not forsake the righteous. Yet Jesus was completely righteous, the only human ever to be. Yet he substituted himself for every person and every sin committed. So he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. But now his suffering is over. He had been faithful to the end. He had completed the mission he was sent to accomplish. One man undergoing unspeakable suffering so that we would have the choice to have our sins forgiven. After this, Joseph of Arimathea received permission to take the body of Jesus and he placed it in his own new tomb and rolled a big stone over the entrance. So what we have here is Jesus Christ came to this earth to save sinners. It cost him horrific pain and humiliation because you see that's what sin causes. And that's the cost of taking care of it. But out of love for us, he endured that pain and the horror and his father even turning away from him, rejecting him. No person has ever shown so much selfless love and he did it for us. And now this Sunday, we will look into what happened three days following Jesus' death. 